In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Here are two stories, true stories, two true stories that have a common thread. For 27 years, I taught math to average students, some below average, but I never taught the top classes. And I also taught English as a second language the last few years of my teaching career. Well, I wanted my math students to get so confident in math that they wouldn't be discouraged by the SAT math portion. I wanted them to be able to go to college without that terrible fear. I wanted them to feel good about themselves in math. And I also wanted my ESL students to know that college could be for them too. So every year, I took them to UTSA for a tour that was led by Hispanic students at UTSA. So they could see for themselves that people that looked just like them were there at the University of Texas in San Antonio. I thought that was the key to life. I thought that was the way to a better, fuller life, education. But there was a shadow side that I didn't know about until I went to live in Zuni, an Indian reservation on the northwestern side of New Mexico. I went there to teach. The bridge to success that I had touted so long wasn't quite the same there. Because the Zuni kids, for them to, or, to uh, go to college meant they had to leave their home and go away to a place that didn't have their family. It meant they had to leave their culture to go to college. And then, when they got these jobs that were going to give them abundant life, not spiritual abundant life, but a good life, they couldn't return to the reservation because there were no jobs for engineers or cardiologists or even business managers on that small Pueblo. There were a lot of tribal police positions but, and some teaching positions, but that was all. So it meant for them to succeed the way I had thought of success for all those years meant they had to leave their family and their culture pretty much forever. Ugh, it wasn't as easy as I thought, and my idea of what was just absolutely right had to change. And I never, I never figured it out, what was the best thing for the Zuni kids. And a few years prior to that, I had another similar jostling. I was an AmeriCorps member and working at the Southwestern Vermont Council on Aging. And the goal of the council was to keep elders living independently in their own homes as long as possible by seeing that they got the many, many services that were available in Vermont. Vermont has high, high taxes, but along with the taxes go a lot of really good services. Elders could get light housekeeping and light cooking. They could get home health care. They could get meals on wheels. They could get rides to the doctor appointments. And so with all that stuff, they could stay in their home. And it seemed wonderful, and I embraced that with all my heart. I thought, this is just the way my parents want to do it. I'm in. I'm all in. And I was until winter came. When the snow covered the ground and I went to take some papers to be signed to a senior who was living in her house independently, alone, I had to struggle up the icy steps and knock on her door and she brought me in and she sat down and she said, I'm so glad to see you. And she talked 
and she talked and she talked and she talked to me because she couldn't even get out to get her mail. And the only people that came to see her were Meals on Wheels and home health care and so forth, and me. And so when I left her house, I thought, well, maybe this idea of living independently in your own home isn't perfect for everybody, and especially not if you are alone. Well, there are many, many stories like that. You probably will go home today, and you'll think of a lot of your own stories, where the right thing seems absolutely right, until it doesn't, until you look more closely. And this type of situation is what makes Richard Rohr say that the older he gets, the less he knows. Like the gospel story today. It seems like a beautiful story of God protecting the child Jesus until you think about what happened in Bethlehem after they escaped. There were parents living in Bethlehem with toddler boys. And Jesus escaping from Herod's men and with the Holy Family was wonderful, but it wasn't wonderful for the families that stayed behind and did not get warned in a dream to flee. Or what about this, back to modern times? I know a family that has a severely disabled child. And rather than put the disabled child in an institution, they chose, the parents chose, to raise that child in their home. And it looks like a wonderful thing, and it was. That child had his parent all the time. But they had other children. And those other children began to resent the fact that their parents' energy went always to the less abled child. I don't know. And a woman I know told a story about her mother's best friend coming to visit her mother for Christmas. And that best friend brought two large suitcases full of criticism that she distributed generously to everybody. <laughs> she first criticized her best friend's husband's haircut. It looks terrible, she said. Where in the world did you get your haircut? And then she went on to criticize the food and the way the furniture was arranged. And before she left, she helped them out by rearranging the living room furniture. <laughs> well, what in the world do you do with a friend like that? A helpful friend. The woman said her parents' faces were full of anguish by the time the best friend went home. And while my reaction is just to say, good riddance and don't let her come again, it's not always easy for people to let loose of lifelong friends, even when they're awful, not helpful at all. And if you think I have the answer to all these dilemmas, I don't. There is no pat answer at the end. I join Richard Rohr in feeling, as I grow in faith and age, that I don't know the answer to much of anything. Another example. About a year ago, the Austin Interfaith clergy met over here on Kirby Lane, at Kirby Lane, to discuss the criminalization of homelessness, the idea that homeless people could get tickets, be cited for sleeping on park benches or begging for money, loitering. 
And the majority of people there thought that this was right, and they were going to present a, a proposal to the city council and tell them decriminalize being homeless. It shouldn't be a crime. And we were all for that until one man said, you know, I have to sympathize with business owners. If I had a small business downtown, I wouldn't want someone begging my customers for money before they entered. I wouldn't want trash thrown in front of my business. I wouldn't want somebody sleeping in front of my display window. I wouldn't want someone urinating or worse on the wall of my business. And suddenly, that group of clergy had to think maybe there's more to consider than just this right answer that we have that we're going to present to the city council. Suddenly, something more like a coalition of clergy and business owners looked like a better solution. Not perfect, but better. And just a, an FYI, I have since learned that there is an All Saints member whose son is a business owner who is trying to come up with a better solution, not alone, with a group of business owners. But even homelessness is not a slam dunk. The solution to homelessness is not a slam dunk. Do you all remember Jackson? Some of you will. If you're new, you won't. But he used to sit right here, and he'd say, oh, man. And sometimes he'd say, that was good. That was real good. <laughs> well, he was homeless. But even after he got his uh, disability income, he didn't want to live in an apartment. He didn't want it. So to provide housing for everybody is not going to be universally welcomed. So what are we to do? The only, the only good news that I can find in all of these examples, and there are more. I thought of one this morning. <laughs> an argument I had had with my mother about Head Start. But anyway, you'll come up with some of your own. <laughs> my, uh, my mother thought it was a black hole that the federal government was pouring money into, and she was going on and on about it until I, a teacher, said, this was years ago, I said, Mother, there are people who don't speak English, don't even know their colors in their native language. And if they go to kindergarten, it's bad for everybody. They need Head Start. Anyway. Enough of that. <laughs> the only good news I can see in all of these different things that we're weighing is that God is present in all of those situations. God's present in those missing verses about the kids getting killed in Bethlehem. God is present with all people, no matter what is being done or being left undone. No matter what good or bad choices people are making, I don't think anymore that God takes sides. I used to. I used to think God was in favor of this and not in favor of that, but no more. The older I get, like Roar, I think God is more and more and more inclusive. God was there in Bethlehem with those babies that got killed, with those parents that lost their children, just as God was with Joseph and his family as they fled to Egypt. And here is something that you may disagree with me about. But I actually believe that God was even with the soldiers as they killed those kids. Not approving, but God was there. 
And God was even present, I believe, with that paranoid, crazy, murderous King Herod. Not approving, but present. I think God was weeping with those people, but still present. And there is one more Bible story that's related to Egypt that I was invited to see in a new way when I took an online course maybe a year ago with Church Next. It was a course on race and the Bible. And the teacher was the Reverend Canon Kelly Brown Douglas, who is a brilliant, brilliant Episcopal priest. She's also the dean of a seminary in New York. Let's see, she's dean of Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York, and she is canon theologian at the National Cathedral. I was really excited to take this class, but she introduced a subject that I still struggle with. I've not found an answer to. Dr. Douglas started off the first session by talking about the Exodus story, and she talked about it in some length. And she said that that was the story of how slaves escaped from Egypt, and it became the Bible story for American slaves because they believed that if God led the Hebrews out of Egypt and out of slavery, God might lead them out of slavery also. And so there was some discussion among the Zoom participants, and then Dr. Douglas began talking about the promised land, the wandering in the wilderness, and then the entrance to the promised land, which was the culmination of that coming out of Egypt. And then it all seemed like a happy ending until she said this. She asked us participants, was the promised land occupied? Well, yeah, it was. It was occupied with the people of Canaan who lived there and worked there and raised their families there. They cooked meals and laughed. They made love. And then the Israelites entered that land, former slaves being led out of slavery and out of Egypt into the promised land. And those Israelite former excuse me, former slaves killed the people in that land in obedience to God, in obedience to the God that led them out of the land and the God that we worship, in obedience to the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I still cannot quite see how God was with the Canaanites in that I may never see, I may never understand. Maybe, maybe in the ensuing years, God changed God's mind. Because in the readings for tomorrow in Epiphany, we know that Gentiles were welcomed at the birth of Christ. Gentiles were the first to worship Jesus. So maybe God changed God's mind later. But I still, I still believe, without understanding, without knowing what's what, that God is with every single one of us, with the good and the bad, with the beautiful and the ugly, with the abled and the disabled, with the violent and with the victims of violence.
I believe that especially on this last day of Christmas, this 12th day of Christmas, and I partly believe it because the writer of Matthew quotes Isaiah by saying, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. But even more than that, I believe it because when this child Jesus grows up, and he grows up very fast, come back next week when he's baptized, when this child Jesus grows up, he will be revealed as God among us. He will be God manifest among us. And after he's resurrected, he promises to be with us always until the end of the age. So even though I don't understand it, there's one thing, one thing I know for sure. God is with us, every single one of us.